This morning, then, uh, we are picking up with this series in 2 Corinthians 4. We're walking through 2 Corinthians with the series title for what we're in this morning is the work of the ministry in hindrance and hope. The work of the ministry in hindrance and hope. And we are looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And we've gotten uh, up into uh, verse 4, but we've taken a little bit of a dive into verse 4 in particular as we're talking about the work of Satan, the prince of the power of the air, in this world and what we know from the Bible in regards to his working and what that means to us and what view we're supposed to have. I think we'd do well to read verses 1 through 6 to understand where we're, what section we're covering. Okay, so 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to ask you to read out loud with me verses 1 through 6. 2 Corinthians 4 verses 1 through 6, reading with me now. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, committing ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of God thank you, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Thanks for not reading my version, but reading the Bible. That's good. All right, so we have this ministry, this ministry of the new covenant that is bought with the blood of Christ, the new covenant, out and is differentiated from the old covenant. That is, there is no veil now. We have an understanding of the gospel. The gospel message is Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world. Anybody who wants to be saved can be saved if you'll come to Christ, amen? And so we don't have to look to the law to look to what is God going to do in providing salvation, that message has been revealed. We have that message. And in this, we recognize we took in verse four a particular focus with, with what is written there about Satan, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. The gospel is hidden as a direct result of two things we talked about last time. It's been a couple weeks ago. And so some would, again, get a little bit lost in this. Well, um, what power does Satan have? And some t people dive into um, Reformed theology and, and all kinds of different spins on this. But let me just say that there is a rebellion and a rejection that is at the core of Satan blinding them. So it isn't as if there is no part that man plays. This isn't something that is simply done to man as a victim of divine judgment outside of what can man do to be saved. In other words, God is the one who initiates salvation. He's the one who's made the plan. And we have an opportunity to receive him. But Satan does blind those. And it says in this verse, those who believe not. So again, read the phrase, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. So there is a rebellion and a rejection of God 
And when that happens, uh, there's a blindness that settles in. We talked a little bit about this when we covered the area. The deficit, this passage, the deficit that we are in and being able to come to the truth, we absolutely need God's help. That's the point. We need God's help. We need God's rescue. So they're blinded by Satan. We talked about several passages about what this means. Um, For those who are entrapped by Satan, we referenced uh, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 26, it says this, and that they may, speaking of the loss, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. It, it, it really is a desperate condition to be in in this world without the Lord. You don't just have an enemy, but you have an enemy who's quite successful at being able to entrap and ensnare all who are rejecting the gospel. You need God's help. You can't save yourself, and I think it's appropriate to say, without God's help, there is no hope. So you really need to be careful about a mentality that is rejecting or resistant to the gospel message. You are dependent upon the Lord to open your eyes so that you can see the message that he's given, so that you can receive the help that he's offered. I'll remind you of John three seventeen. It's not God's will that anybody, any be lost. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him all the world might be saved. So you have this opportunity of salvation. The responsibility that we looked at at 2 Timothy regarding this doctrine of Satan and those who are lost is that we need to be teaching those who are lost in meekness. And it's a particular point we made because in this world, as believers, you get riled when you see injustice. You get riled and angry when you see evil having its day. Does it irritate you? Now, I don't know her name, and I'm sure I'll get to know her name at some point, but I, and forgive me if I don't get many of the details right, but there was, a, a she, she's big in the news this week, and I think she's a Supreme Court nominee, am I right? And, and, and she was asked the definition of a woman, and she said she could not give a definition because she wasn't a what, am I no? She wasn't a biologist. Do you need to have a biology degree to know what a woman is? crazy. So when you see stuff like that, does it, can, it, can it irritate you and rile you? It can. But that's not the disposition we're supposed to have. The disposition is that if it wasn't for the grace of God, we'd all be lost. Really. And, and, and I think what happens for those who are not saved, they look at a group like this and, and, and there's always this, well, you think you're better than us. And, and the problem is, is sometimes believers act that way. And bad doctrine gives bad behavior. And so when you start filling yourself with pride and look at what I'm not, the only reason you're not is because God's grace in your life. Uh, Nobody's as bad as they could be because God has a restraining power in the world. It's a little bit of a dogmatic statement, but the point is, is that God is at work in the world and there is someone who's been given authority in the world and someone who has been given authority, his name is Satan. And in that authority, I think it's appropriate that we have a biblical reference to what that means. So I I spoke largely last week or two weeks ago about Satan and the lost. But today I want to look at verse 4 and chase this doctrine a little further about Satan in regards to believers. So it says again, 2 Corinthians 4, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. But what about you? You believe. So what does that mean? It means that you're not 
blind. So I'm not good singing these days. I just haven't been good at it. So um, amazing with amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. Was blind, but now I see. Can you heartfelt give an amen to that message as a believer? Yeah, so to go back to the idea of the blindness that we were in, the the desperation of that situation, However, this doctrine about Satan needs to be explored a little bit further to the life of the believer. I want to take a moment just to give you some points. The first thing I want to give you under the idea of believers is that we are delivered. Okay, we are delivered. So we're going to turn to several passages, and I know we're springboarding off of 2 Corinthians 4, but I'm taking the opportunity to do so because I think it's necessary. So 2 Corinthians 4, uh, we're going to go now to Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. We have been delivered. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. Uh, He is what we've referenced, where the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. And it even goes further, says, lest the glorious or lest the light of the gospel, the light of the glorious gospel. So the gospel is seen as a light that shines into the darkness. In Colossians 1 verses 12 through 13, through 14, we read a little bit about being delivered from that darkness. Verse 12, giving thanks, and we have every reason to do so, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet or able to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in what? So you and I as believers have the light that has shined upon us. And we just remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, what was it that Moses had happened to him as he came down from the mountain after fellowshipping with God with the commandments in hand? What was his disposition? His face was what? Radiating with light. It was a testimony that he had been in communion with God. God doctrinally says that we are all now inherited, have an inheritance of the saints in light. And in other words, it is a spiritual figurative message that all of us bear the light of Jesus Christ in us. It isn't something that we have of ourselves. We radiate Jesus as we fellowship with Jesus, and it is the doctrinal position in which we stand. Verse 13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his, what, his dear son. It goes on to say, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even what? Even the forgiveness of sins. Now that passage I started with, giving thanks unto the Father. Why? Because he made us able to be called or to be a partaker of those who are the inheritance of the saints in light. He's the one who's rescued us from the power of darkness. Now, again, I, I think in this room, there's a, there's a gamut. There are young people here who were saved at very young ages, perhaps older people here saved at very young ages. Others of you saved later in your life. And, and the tendency is for those who were saved young, well, I don't really have the experience of being, being lost in darkness and, and, and how bad I could be. And I would tell you that is a grace of God. 
It's a grace of, your, of God in your life. But make no mistake about it. From the youngest of ages, we are sinners. From the youngest of ages, we manifest that sin. I would love to say that my little Joe this morning was an angel. I was going to say, well, I won't say it. <laughs> Do you notice that my wife is not here right now? She was. Do you know why she's not? Because Joe's not an angel. <laughs> He's a sweet little dude, but he not an angel. In other words, if it wasn't for the grace of God, you don't know how bad you could be. You don't know how bad life could be. So it doesn't matter that you got saved when you were in your teens or, or 20s or 30s, 40s, whatever. It doesn't matter when you got saved. The fact that you got saved is a testimony of God's rescuing power. I want to I magnify this again. Realize every time someone's saved, it's a miracle of God. Why? There is no way you're going to find it on your own. Why? Because we have someone in the world who is the enemy of the gospel fighting against it, but we have our own sinful nature. And there is no end to how we can deviate from the truth. There is no end to how we can make up our own way. You know what it looks like to make up your own way? Look at the world around you. There's no end to how, how black and dark life can be in our own deviation. So young people, if you were saved as a very young person, praise God for it. But God in your youth or God in your older years, wherever you came to Christ, he rescues you, delivers us from the power of darkness. And he tells you that you become a child of God to where you have an inheritance. You know the verse, and I, hopefully I won't misquote it. You can... Maybe if you chime along, I'll get it right as well. John 1.12. John 1.12, do you know it? But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even them that what? Even to them that believe on his name. Who is delivered from darkness? All who believe. Amen? All who believe are delivered from darkness. You are rescued by the only one that can rescue. You are rescued miraculously. I'm going to tell you why it's miraculous. Do you know anybody that needs to be saved? I'm going to get a little bit more specific now. Do you know anybody that needs to be saved that you've tried to reason with regarding the gospel? And do you know anybody that needs to be saved that you've tried to reason with and yet they've dug in and they are resistant to the gospel. You know that person? Now let's talk about being further than resistant. There is a picture, or excuse me, there is a position of not just resistant, but rejecting. <laughs> Do you know anybody like that? So how can they be saved? How can they be saved? Take the position. You've given them the truth. You've pointed to them the way. By the way, I want to remind everybody here, don't get me wrong. We, we, know what need, we need to know our Bibles, okay? Need to know our Bibles. 
But sometimes we put way too much authority on us and we stop giving the gospel because we think, well, I'm not good at it. Remember that someone being saved isn't because you're good at giving the gospel. What's the hope of someone who's been given the truth, has had that moment sitting with you where you've exposed them to the truth, how are they gonna be saved? They're, the same, they're saved the same way that any person is ever saved. It is the miraculous hand of God that breaks through the blindness and shows the light of his rescuing salvation. And I, I, I believe it earnest, earnestly to be so. While we need to teach the word, we need to remember it's in prayer and the power of God that saves anybody. And nobody's gonna get saved if it isn't for the intervening, miraculous work of God. So if you're saved here today, you really are a recipient of a miracle. And it is glorious. Because you've been rescued from darkness. You've been rescued from the power of darkness. You are called a child of God. So number one, as believers, in regards, in regard to this this enemy, the God of this world that blinds the minds of those that will not believe, we are delivered through Christ. But also there is a position that you and I are to be careful about and it's found in James chapter four. So take your Bibles to James chapter four. James chapter four tells us something about our walk with God and relation to the prince of the power of the air, to the one who blinds the world of those who don't believe. How are we to respond in our walk with God throughout this world? Well, James four, seven and eight, we read here, submit yourselves therefore to God. Read the next phrase. Resist the devil. And then it says, and he will flee from you. It also then says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. It then further takes a personal effect upon how we're to navigate our own walk. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye what? Double-minded. Need to make a decision in this life who you're going to live for who are you going to serve, and what are you going to do in the navigation of this time that you have on this planet? Who are you going to serve? So our position is that you and I need to be careful to resist the power of Satan, to resist his influence. Now, what does it mean to resist? What does it mean to resist? It basically means that you are not going to yield. It means that you are not going to give place to, and there's other passages we could look at that would teach that. But we simply are in a position where we are not going to yield to the influence of Satan. That's what it means to resist him. Okay? So I will tell you, I think many things that we are doing personally can be detrimental to our spiritual lives and we're giving a foothold to the devil. 
either through bitterness about other people or inviting things in our lives that are not healthy for us spiritually, and we invite them in because there's pleasure in it or we simply like something. Now, I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit, and I'm, I'm not going to talk in a nice way about it because it, it can seem rude, but I'm going to talk a little bit against what I'm going to call snowflake Christianity. And I know that sounds rude, but what I mean by snowflake Christianity, do you realize that what we do in life isn't based isn't supposed to be based simply on what we like. Simply because we like something doesn't become the standard of why we do something. Let me ask you something. Is there supposed to be restraint in the believer's life in regard to the activities of the world? I'll say it again. Should there be restraint in the believer's life as regards the activities of the world? Now I'll ask you, but is there? And, and it really doesn't matter about everybody else. I'm not really, and by the way, I'm not trying to give you an application that you need to fit my application. I'm just simply saying that we're to resist the devil, and by resisting him, it means that there are influences that are demonic, influences that are anti-God, and I think what's happening largely in Christianity, especially in America, and I don't know about the rest of the world, but I don't think there's really a concern for those things at all. I think there's a, a form of Christianity that knows the name of Jesus, but doesn't know the power of Jesus, and knows what it means to claim him as Savior, but has no difference in what it means to walk and navigate this life. And that is that I am a child of God. Matter of fact, so much is this not taught today, that if you have standards in your life to avoid sinful behaviors, even amongst Christians, you become the enemy. You're immediately labeled with this side or the other. And by the way, I'm not trying to get involved in your, whatever your standards are. You've got to sort that out with God. I'm glad to talk with you about it. But ultimately, who cares what I say? It's your walk with God. And, and make no mistake about it, Satan will take you down if he can. Satan will squash your light if he can. He will hurt you every way he can. Satan does not come in and make your life better. The demonic forces be behind all that prince of the power of the air are meant to squash the gospel message, to quench the light, to, to drown out the light, and envelop the world in darkness. And even as a believer, you can participate with that if you don't have good doctrine. And what we've got is a lot of churches today going about Telling, inviting the doors, come in, come in, and I'll tell you how to have a successful life, how to get what you want, how to have plenty, how to, how to have blessing and never have trouble. And, and, and it's all a house of cards because it is not biblical doctrine. You and I do need to understand that we need to be careful about our lives because it's a doctrine that the Bible commends. This isn't about being better than anybody else. It's about trying to walk with, a God, with God in a world where there is a prince of the power of the air that is fighting against you. So we are delivered from the power of darkness, but we're also to resist the power of darkness. Now I'm going to step into uh, some muddy territory, and somebody's going to get mad at me probably for this, but I'm, I'm going to go ahead and <laughs> do it. Um, all right. What about rebuking? Satan. 
Now, I'm going to just tell you, everybody probably just needs to be quiet right now. You don't need to amen me or owe me me. Just listen to what I got to say, and, and you check your Bibles out and let the Word of God reign supreme, not me. Fair? But I'm going to give you some applicational things that I think are important to know. I want you to question this in your life. Does the Bible give Christians, listen to the words, the authority to rebuke the devil? I want you to think about it. I don't want you to answer me. I want you to think about it. Does the Bible give Christians the authority to rebuke the devil? Now, I'm going to tell you my position on this. My position is no. We do not have that authority. Why would I make that argument? Well, in Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 2, we, I'm, I'm not turning there, but you can write it down. Um, but in Zechariah 3, 2, it is the Lord who rebukes Satan. And the word rebuke is key because what it means is to silence or to bring to a stop. So let me ask you, do you have the authority to stop Satan in your life? All you can do, what I would argue, is you have the authority to resist him. But let's, let's just take an example here. Who do you know of that was um, hurt by Satan in the Bible specifically in a very physical way? Who do you know of? Oh, you said the person I thought of. Okay. Is there, any, is there anything in, in, in that passage where you see Job saying, Satan, I rebuke you, be gone. Is there anything close to that in the book of Job? No. But there is a segment of Christianity. Now, I know, by the way, listen to me. You're going to think I'm dogmatic. And I, I often, I, I'm telling you this as a matter of reason, but I, I don't, I'm not, this is not a law, okay? So I'm giving, going to give a specific illustration. So understand I'm not calling you a sinner or you've done something bad if you've, if you've watched this, but I'm going to tell you why I don't like it, okay? There's a Christian movie out there and it's called um, War something, War, okay, War Room. And there's a, there's a lady that prays in there, there's more than one, but they pray, and they pray in ways that I'm uncomfortable with. They're walking, and they're not just resisting the devil, but they take an authority that has a phrase behind it. If, if Satan is in something, what are they doing? They are trying to cast him out. And what I'm answering here is doctrinally, do we have a Bible that supports the idea that we can cast out Satan, do we have that authority? Well, I'm telling you, there's a segment of Christianity that thinks we do. And I'm saying, please consider your Bible. Now, while I would say you do not have the authority to cast him out, you absolutely have the power to resist him. You absolutely have the power not to yield to him or to the demonic forces that are behind the whole scheme of the prince of the power of the air. Matter of fact, you are familiar that in Jude 1 verse 9, if you go there, matter of fact, we'll just look at it, Jude. I say chapter 1 as if there are five chapters, but... 
This is talking about false teachers in this passage. In verse 8, likewise also, Jude, verse 8, likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion or authority, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, what? The Lord rebuke thee. That's where the authority to resist Satan comes from, the Lord. And it's important to know that. And why do I say that? Because there is bad doctrine out there about Satan and demons, okay? Even the archangel Michael says, the Lord rebuke thee. Okay? I, I, I listened to the war room. Matter of fact, I, I went and got familiar with it again. Uh, watched some of the scenes in that. And, and it's like this, like this prayer and talking to Satan. You know, you've had victory over my house. You've had victory over my life and no more. And I'm telling you now. And it's like, look, you'd do better to yield to God and pray to him and resist the devil. You know, why do I say that? Because frankly, bad doctrine flows out of this. You know what this dominoes? When you don't use the Bible, again, I'd be, I want to be careful here. I just about said, when you don't use the Bible as your authority, I don't want to make it sound like if you disagree with me that you've got it all wrong. I'm just, I'm giving you a perspective on the Bible I think you need to consider, and I want to be gracious about it, okay? But bad doctrine does flow out of this stuff so that now what happens is you have someone saying, well, Satan, Satan is doing this in my life. And, And by the way, I don't know how many people there are in the world, but there's something you need to know about Satan. He's not God. And he cannot be everywhere at the same time. And so he can't be in your bedroom whispering in your ear in the same place at the same time with somebody else doing that. Now, he's got demons, and can they carry out uh, his plans? I think so. But there's so much diving into that that now we have the doctrine of you can't quit smoking. You need to rebuke the demon of smoking. You can't lose weight. You need to rebuke. The demon of donuts, that's just bad doctrine. (laughs) You wonder why I get passionate about stuff like this? Because it messes up everything. Your husband won't act right. You need to rebuke the demon of your husband. Well, that doesn't sound good. That doesn't sound good at all. Resist the devil. But again, remember the passage of James 4. Submit. All right, what's the idea? Resist and submit. Who are you yielding to? Whose authority are you under? Whose authority are you under? You're under God's control. Amen? That's a great place to be. Can Satan hurt you? Yes. Can Satan hurt you? Yes. But who's in control? God. God. That doctrine is helpful. I'll tell you why. I want you to listen to these comments. Listen to the doctrinal dominoes of bad doctrine. 
okay? Now, this comment comes, I did not dive long. I went and looked at the war room scene, and then underneath it were comments, and this is one of the, it wasn't the first, it was one of the, one of the first ones I came to. So in regard to that video, it's not just with Satan, it's with spiritual awakening too. For sleep paralysis, for spirits, for witches that project in their sleep, for people who do witchcraft and send you stuff. You have to walk through your house and tell the spirits to get out and that you don't accept them in your home. You need to close portals that they may have opened and ask Jesus to close those portals with the blood of Jesus Christ. You have to walk through your house and tell those spirits to leave and cast them outside your house. You have to open your door, literally, and tell them to get out. Walk through your entire home praying and telling them to leave and inviting the kingdom of heaven to protect your home. If you don't tell them to leave and anoint your home with, uh, with your words and claim that, your place is the temple of God Almighty. If you don't do that, and that it's, it's Jesus Christ and the angelic realm, the spirits won't leave. Some leave right away and will continue coming back. So you have to do it daily and pray with, with fervency. They start taking your sleep, scaring you, and trying, um, and trying to control your thinking in your home. You need to cleanse your home with your, uh, when you hear, feel, sense their presence. Those of us who are psychic, we can see them or sense them and hear them walking around. You need to get rid of them. They won't go away on their own. More will just join if they don't feel the anointing of God. No evil spirits can exist in a home where you invite the kingdom of heaven. You need to pray it away daily if you must until it gets until it gets it through that it's not welcomed and you have to invite the presence of God. That's why homes are haunted. People say there's spirits in their home because there's spirits there that haven't, have been there a long time need to tell them to get out. As silly as it sounds for those who have experienced it, they know when there's a spirit in their home and they won't leave or stop until they're told to leave and you continue to pray it away. Some are stubborn, so you need to kick them out daily with the blood of Jesus Christ until they are permanently gone and I almost puke doctrinally. problem is there are snatches of truth. Should you be praying? Absolutely. Is it right to go through your home and, and pray your home to God? Yes, I would. Why? I'm a steward. My house belongs to God, not me. So I'm a steward of the place. What happens is we get into this place doctrinally where, well, there may be, I, I got some feeling of an evil presence here. I better, I better pray and cast out, cast out the demon or cast out the devil. And I, I got a feeling I saw something move. And, and, and I, I'm telling you folks, so much of bad doctrine is based on how we feel. I'm gonna remind you of something. I think we do well to be reminded of it in 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. Now, by the way, I'm, while you're turning there, um, I thank the Lord I can stand in the pulpit and preach today. I'm not a good preacher. But I want to give you good doctrine. It's important to me 
that you have good doctrine behind your life. And I'm, I'm very temporary. You need the stability of God. You need the stability of his word. And stop being played with spiritism. Stop being played with bad doctrine, like somebody's got authority. Those, those of us, again, who are psychic. By the way, I, eh, there's all kinds of experiences people have, and I cannot explain every experience. But I'm going to tell you, God helping me, I want to land on the side of the Bible when there's a decision to be made between experience and the Bible. Why? Because I am flawed. You are flawed. The same miraculous God who miraculously saved me is the God I need to lean on to keep me from error and from deception of my own heart. I've told you before, and I'm sorry to go to this illustration again. But I want to tell you, I'm glad in my accident that I did not have some experience. I'm telling you, I would be ashamed of myself if I was coming to you this morning and saying, I know because I've experienced it. I know that there's a heaven because I was there. I know that, that angels are real because and I, I saw a light and, and I, I was going to the light. And I, I'm so glad I'm not telling you that. Because you need the Bible. I need the Bible. What this is called, (laughs) I'm going to use the illustration again. Little children are known for being led by what? Some of you said emotions. What else did you say? Somebody said the devil. (laughs) They're led by what they want. They want what they want when they want it. Yeah, now, right? That's how it is. So there's a word used in 1 Peter chapter 5. It's in the second word there after the word be. And it is be sober. Be sober. It goes on to say, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world, But the God, please say that, the God of all, let's say that again out loud, the God of all grace. I think there's joy in just saying that. The God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, and make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you to him, be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. It says here, be sober. And Sobriety has the idea of being settled in your mind. It has the idea of being calm. Someone who's not easily flustered or easily uh, brought into a tizzy of, of experience. Oh, no, oh, no. 
You see, this is one of the problems with an unhealthy dive into the doctrines of demons and angels and evil spirits and Satan. The effect is, and I'm going to tell you that even amongst Christians, the effect is fear. And that is not of God. Why? 2 Timothy 1.7, it's a reference given to Timothy about carrying out his commission in the Lord. It says, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but listen, but of power and of love and what? And of a sound mind, sobriety. Sobriety. You don't need to be afraid. Listen, uh, and I, by the way, I appreciate that. So if I'm going to address something you've asked me about, don't, uh, this is not about, I'm glad you've asked. But some people have asked me in the past, um, should we pray for demons to be cast out of inanimate objects? My trumpet won't play right. I need to cast out the demon in this mouthpiece. Did you know there's nothing biblically supporting that demons inhabit immaterial objects? So what's my take? My take is, from what I can see in the Bible, there's no reason to pray for the demon to be cast out of the mouthpiece. But there's every reason in my life to say, Lord, I don't know what's going on. And by the way, it's your life. It's you personally. I'd just be talking to the Lord about it. And what would I do? I'd surrender to him. Lord, I don't know what's going on. There seem to be crazy things going on. I'm surrendering to you. Give me the power to do the next right thing. Lord, I'm going to trust you. I, don't, I know you don't want me to be afraid. So Lord, I'm in your hands. And whatever you deem best for my life, I'm going to go through it holding your hand. What would I do if I was in my home and I saw cabinet doors open and shutting on their own? I don't know what I'd do, but I'd probably look at it and go, well, look at that. <laughs> you know what my knee jerk would be next? My knee jerk would not be, Lord, I'm casting out the demon of cabinets. <laughs> By the way, what kind of a lame spiritual world is it to say? Some spirit come back and open it and shut my cabinets. Don't you have something better to do? <laughs> oh, he moved my chair. <laughs> Whatever. You know what I think I would do? I think I would say, Lord, look at that. I got no earthly explanation. Praise God for being almighty, all powerful. Lord, I trust you. I don't need to sell my house, I don't need to move. I don't need to be in fear because I have a God who's delivered me from the power of darkness. I'm his child. And there is not a thing on this planet that can happen to me that my God does not know and where my God will not help me. But bad doctrine gives bad behavior. And Christians walk around and, oh no, what am I gonna do about this? And oh no, there's, I thought I heard a voice. And oh no, I, you know what? Just surrender to God, resist the devil, and you're good. Really? The last passage I want to turn to 
in this section. We did not get through all the way through verse 6 because I'm still anchored on the, the, the domino theology of 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4. The last thing I want to give you is Ephesians 6. So I've given some principles here. What do you do as a believer in regards to the satanic, demonic world? Number one, remember you're delivered. Number two, resist the devil. Number three, be sober. Be right-minded. Don't live in fear. And last one, can I say, it's in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Listen to this. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the power of his might. Every one of us needs to trust him in the big things and the little things and the worries and, and, and the circumstances. We just need to be strong in the Lord. So it's Ephesians 6, and this is the armor of God, okay? But Ephesians 6 starts in the armor of God with this statement in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. And what's the next phrase? And in the power of his might. So I don't need to lean on my power to rebuke Satan, my power to rebuke or cast out, you know, demons from someone's house or someone's car or someone's whatever. I just need to be strong in the Lord and rest all of my care and trust in him and look to him to be the strength to do whatever it is that needs to be done. And then it gives very specific instructions on what it means to be strong in the Lord. So put on the whole armor of God that she may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that she may be able to stand, to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench what? A few of the fiery darts some of the fiery darts, all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. I'm gonna end there. But I wanna remind everybody here when our Lord was tempted of Satan, we do well to mimic the methodologies of Christ in resisting Satan. And everybody here who's been seasoned in your doctrine knows what Jesus did when he was tempted of Satan. So I'll ask you, what did he do? He used the Bible. Lord, help us to do the same thing. We need the Bible, folks. We need it more than we know. In a deceived, messed up world, we need the doctrine of God's word. Now, I hope I haven't gotten you to a place of uh, being super bothered with me, but I've got to tell you this, I'm just being as honest as I can about the Bible. And my goal is not to, my goal is to teach doctrine. And in doing so, to rescue souls from the power of Satan and to help believers to be grounded in the authority of God's word so that you can navigate this world in a healthy way.
as a disciple of Christ. And I'm just one of you. I've got the same Bible you've got. I need the Lord just like you do. And we all need him together. But listen, folks, there's a lot of deception out there. And because of it, a lot of bad doctrine. You heard me read you that longer conversation from this person commenting on the video. It's like, all the time through, I'm saying, where is your Bible? Where is your Bible? Where, is your, where are you getting this from? You know where they get it from? They get it from spiritual mumbo jumbo. They get it from spiritual lingo, sometimes given by pastors. I want you to have no confidence in man, but every confidence in the Bible. I, you know, if you were to write a review of this message today, Especially if you come from a charismatic background, you know, someone might say, that guy's off his rocker. I would just say, if I haven't said what is reflected in this book, I'm not a good preacher. And if I need to be rebuked, you show me. And I, I'm, not, I'm not being obstinate or mean. I want us to stand on the Bible, and we need it. And you need it. And by the way, this isn't, this isn't, where, this isn't for spiritism that's somewhere else in the world like, like Africa where there are witch doctors. This stuff is right here for this valley, right where we live. There's a lot of this stuff going on in this valley right where we live. So I'm gonna close again by making the same comment I've said several weeks. You are an incredibly important individual in Christ because you're walking out of this place in the scope and realm of people that you know and influence where you may be the only doctrine they ever see and know. You're incredibly important. Let's teach what the Bible says and land and doctrine as followers of Christ. Amen?